just realized I don't know the last line of that. And the skies are not cloudy or gray. Hello and welcome to the Disney Animated Cannibal, a podcast where I, Talalee, he, him, and I, Fox Lee, she, her, regret my life choices. We have decided to watch all of the Disney animated movies from the start through to the finish, which appears to be stretching off before us like some sort of sad Skyroads level. But that does mean that we have finally gotten around to the one that got away, the one that Fox hadn't seen, the one about whom a myth was constructed, the end of traditional animation and good taste itself, the one with a yodeling villain, Home on the Range. I don't see no myth. This is 2004's traditionally animated Disney animated canon movie, and uh, before we go in on it, I have to provide the plot in 60 seconds. Well, have fun with that, son. I'm gonna get a drink or something. Now you enjoy yourself. Home on the Range tells the story of how Roseanne the Cow teams up with Dame Judi Dench and the Bride of Chucky to save the farm by capturing a criminal, except it turns out that the criminal was working with someone who they shouldn't be. The whole thing unfolds with a sort of tedious inevitability interspersed with moments of actually enjoyable action and a voice acting cast that composes of at least two Hatsune Mikus. That's who the big cow was. That's who the big cow was, Fox. Uh, oh, man. I could... All right, sorry. Uh, um, ding, ding, ding. Uh, your time's up. You succeeded probably here. Have a trophy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, even if I didn't succeed, I can edit it so I do. <gasps> He's using his editor powers for evil. I'm using my editor powers for who cares. Fiend, I say. Now, this is a rare example of a video where we don't have a double take. We have, we got nothing. Like, this movie came out, but nobody went to see it because it looked awful. We didn't go see this movie at all. I'd never seen it. I hadn't seen promotional material. I will raise an additional complication for this. uh, Because you did announce this was 2004. This was the year we were employed in a live-in role. Yes. And... I think we might have gone to see a movie that year. The the month we got fired and therefore could physically leave the place together was the month we went and saw The Return of the King. That sounds about right, yeah. So, yeah, it wasn't um it wasn't a good time for us to go see movies. And so we didn't. And <laughs> No, and if we did get a day off together to go see a movie, it wasn't going to be something that looked like this. Oh hell no. Yeah, this movie didn't do a good job of pitching itself to us and therefore we didn't have much of an actual impression of the movie and that means that this is kind of our first impression of it which means we must now slide sideways and open up the yikes door slash product of its time remembering that the product of its time was a year before the iphone hello in there Oh, it's a vast abyss of yikes for a movie that shouldn't have had any. Yeah! Ah, that's not fair. It's not that vast. They just would not shut up with the fat jokes. Yeah, there is an excess of really strange fat shaming. Um, unnecessary sexualization of cows. Oh, yeah. I did not need to hear another cow sex joke. I, I like, Why? I think one of our cows got sexually harassed. Like, physically touched. 
in a sexual fashion, and it just happened off screen, but everyone's reacting to it. I mean, all of our cows got sexually harassed. Uh, yeah. And they were pretty, like, the the movie handled that decently for a movie that decided to put in cow sexual harassment until the end where they were just like, oh, no, now that our problems are solved, we like the boys. I hope they touch me without consent more. Yeah. And there's also, like, <sighs> I feel a bit bad pointing this out because it's just the same stuff that came up in Pecos Bill, but it's... This is a vision of America's past that is largely... <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Extremely white. Um, and there's one black character I spotted, and he was a male person who showed up for a hot second. Uh, we do get a Chinese rancher. That's right, yes. Uh, coming through town, who is not, like, a gross caricature. He doesn't do anything stupid. They don't make any, like, language jokes or anything. Well, they, they make kind of a language joke, but it's a legitimately funny language joke that doesn't make him the butt of it. Well, I mean, they make a joke in the sense of somebody talks to him expecting him to understand English, and he doesn't, so he interprets the situation according to his own information. But, yep. I, yeah. It's, I wasn't counting that as a joke, to be honest. There's a lot in this movie I'm not counting as a joke. It, well, well, so... Just just because there's no way anyone's going to go watch this movie to double-check us. Oh, please don't watch this movie. The two parts of the joke are, at first, someone ties cows to his wagon and says, hey, tie up your cows next time. And he, he says, in Chinese, of some variety, um, free cows, what a country, and rides off with them. And then, one scene later, one of the cows is singing awfully, and he gets the line, oh, okay, I see why they were free. Oh yeah, that's a joke. And that like that yeah. genuinely made me laugh. And that's the thing. This movie has a bunch of little things that really made me laugh. But at the moment, rather than talk about the jokes and the quality of the movie, the the yikes door stuff. Right, right. We are yikesing. Yeah, look, um finding out that that's Roseanne Barr. Um yeah, knowing that it's her, I that probably explains a lot of the fat jokes because like you can't be a fat woman in comedy yeah. without making your own fatness the butt of the joke. And I, I fucking hate that. I wish that was... That needs to stop being a thing, alright? I think everyone should be able to look at what Rebel Wilson does and go, hang on, this isn't actually very funny. And maybe realize that this whole genre is just... It's just dead fat phobia and it's boring. For anyone who needs the context disclaimer there, I weigh like 120 kilograms, don't at me. Yeah. The other stuff in the Yikes store, um, it is all very American farm culture where, you know, we have pigs and we have cows and we have chicken and nobody eats <laughs> any meat, which is we, a little weird. We'd never dream of eating any of our farm animals because we're a good, wholesome little farm. The entire vision of the Old West is like, you know, tiny little homesteaders who let their cows wear decorative hats and would never dream of eating beef is... Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you don't need a dairy cow. Until <clears throat> the dairy cow gets old, probably. I mean, you know, at a certain point, it's just realism, isn't it? And also, in amongst all that, we still somehow found time to make room for a wholesome brothel keeper. She seemed nice. <laughs> and also an inexplicable cross-dressing parent joke. Which just made me uncomfortable because I don't think anyone making that joke is coming at it from a good place. I feel like I missed a cross-dressing 
parent joke. Yeah. I caught the, uh, this saloon girl is, uh, is, you know, wearing a wig and therefore implied to be a man. He gets, sorry, I apologize for the pronoun use in this situation. Mm. I don't know, but, uh... The one of the, one of the saloon dancers gets knocked over. The wig comes off, yeah. lands in the lap of a man, and that man says "dad," and the other guy says "son." I totally missed that line. Yeah, it's a it's a moment. Uh, so yeah, that happens. I okay. That was I it, that that was a shitty joke, but I hadn't noticed the second line. The second line doesn't make it a little bit more interesting. <laughs> Are we implying like a double? Hidden identity thing yeah, like, here? I, I have, don't know. I wouldn't have expected my son to be at the saloon. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm sure it wasn't done in good faith. We're definitely supposed to find it hilarious. Yeah. That a person dancing for the titillation of others would in fact be a man. Yeah, it is extremely coming from a mean-spirited superstructure, so it would need to have done a crapload more to make me feel like, oh, this is actually just something wholesome and nice. Because... <laughs> It wasn't. <laughs> it definitely wasn't. Uh, yeah, so they, you know, they managed to cram a pretty decent amount of yikes into a movie which really required no yikes at all. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Hatsune Mikus of the group, which is to say Roseanne and uh, Dennis Quaid, the villain. Ah, that's who our villain was. Both of whom are hard QAnon extremely do not google people Ugh, go to hell eat shit yeah Ooh, public life please i do not plan on going in deep on any of that stuff but don't need to you've really said the only thing that needs to be said yeah not not people i'm inclined to extend the healing balm of trust of good faith to. <laughs> it's just like if someone tries to pitch me on nfts i don't care what else what other shit you've gone you've got going on we're yeah, done we're, we're done. done bye now mm-hmm. with that i'm done with the yike store yeah, let's get out of here. In which case, we move on to the animation and making, where we watch Fox's heart Ooh. break into thousands of tiny little pieces. Yeah. I mean, this is the last traditionally animated uh, Disney movie. Until the next two. At least until they decide they regret that and they do Princess <laughs> and the Frog. But, I mean, it was the last we got for a while. Mm-hmm. And it was... You know, everybody knew at that point that it was going to be the last one, so this was sort of like the last hurrah, and it does indeed break my heart that this is what it was. So let's talk about some of this heartbreak, Fox. (sighs) Okay. Well, I mean... The director, this guy by the name of Mike Gabriel, who's the director of Pocahontas. Okay, uh uh-huh. This movie got pitched along with Pocahontas. Ah, right. I mean... I feel like they made the right choice, as fraught as Pocahontas' uh, legacy has been. The music for this movie. I can't believe Alan Menken is yeah. the composer for this. Yeah. Oh, God, talk about slumming it. <laughs> this guy scored Hunchback, which I believe has the best score in Disney history. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And then he's just writing some twangy country crap for this. And when you Who's our at- lyricist? I didn't recognize his name. Uh, I didn't write the lyricist down for anything except the specific songs. Oh, okay. Uh, but also, it, it doesn't matter. It, it really doesn't matter. Well, it matters only that I'm comparing it, because I've, I've only ever seen Alan Menken in duos with other uh, composers and with lyricists. So I'm curious to know to what degree I can blame the lyricists for this, because I didn't recognize their name when it came up. And I'm like, ah, hmm, okay, is it your fault? 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can I put Alan Menken in this box over here, away from your <laughs> disgustingness? It's we... okay. It's okay. I'll watch Hunchback again. We also have in the voice cast, Dame Judy Dench. Oh my god. <laughs> I used to think anything Judy Dench was in had like a baseline level of entertainment value. Like, yeah. She's even been in Bond movies, and I hate Bond movies. I had a similar feeling around Helen Mirren. She's pretty fantastic, yeah. And that got me to watch the movie R.E.D. And, like, but all right. That wasn't shit awful. Yeah. It just yeah, wasn't right. as good as it should have been. But the thing is, it also got me to watch R.E.D. too. Ah. So, I'm just saying, every <laughs> everything can fail under the right circumstances. Under the right circumstances. Right. Who's our third cow? Cause... Jennifer Tilly, Bride of Chucky, Scream Queen. Jennifer Tilly is, and I say this as someone who has watched a lot of Jennifer Tilly as herself, pretty great. She's a 80s actress in in the low-cut top genre of media, if you know what I mean. <laughs> you did say Scream Queen already. Yeah, um, she's been in a lot of really well-liked trash, and she's also a regular celebrity participant in World Series Poker, and Oh, it's her! She's also a participant in World Series Poker in the non-celebrity bracket. <laughs> and she was also for a while there dating a fairly well-known and liked poker player by the name of Phil Lark. And the pair of them, I think they're still together, run a charity which is, amongst other things, helping poor kids in America in food deserts. So, like, I have a pretty positive opinion yeah. of, of, um, of Jennifer Tilly. I mean, I also didn't hate her in this movie. Okay, here's the thing. Like, none of these performances were bad. Yeah. Um, I, like, I mean, really, these performances are probably quite good. There's a lot of really good performance in this movie. Given what they obviously didn't have to work with. Like, they're not given stellar material here. No. And I feel like the personality uh, imparted by the actors is doing all the work for these characters because they're quote-unquote arcs are not doing any of that work. This is where I would like to run quickly through the voice talent to give you a frame for this, this the right. following Yeah, episode. yeah, okay, okay, okay. I gotta ask you to hit me with the big one first, though, because I, like, I made a passing joke about the horse only being here because he's fucking Owen Wilson or something, and you said I was close. If this is Matt Damon, I'm gonna die. It's Cuba Gooding Jr. What the fuck? And they wanted him in this role because Shrek came out two years prior. No! What? He's, he's meant to is be... Is there Eddie Murphy? He's the Disney donkey. No! That was that was the aim. I... He's not even... So uh, everything it's... in that movie about that horse, when I'm watching it, this made complete sense to me of like, oh, they're trying to give this guy a chance to generate some some donkey lines. And what you got is that. Okay. I, I get, I, look, I haven't seen Cuba Gooding Jr. in a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I assume that improv comedy is not his talent. I would say no. Um, I, I seem to recall him having chops as a fairly serious actor. Yes. Um, so I don't know why the fuck they thought he was a good match for this part. And if you wanted him to be donkey, I, <clears throat> I don't know how to say this delicately, but he's not even like, black guying it up in this role no like <laughs> he's you heard me i thought he was owen wilson 
he's he's Will Smithing it. It's <laughs> it's the black guy that everyone at work doesn't have any problem talking <sighs> about. I and you know it doesn't help that the character is awful, just dreadful, just awful. Like L- I, I literally a hindrance. <laughs> I talked up the cows being elevated by the the performances, but nothing is doing anything for Buck. Buck sucks. Buck is awful. His function in the movie is awful. What they've told him to do with himself is awful. His comedy is not funny. His lines are not good. His conduct is not okay. Uh, he's just a big dumb asshole. I vaguely suspected that he was in this movie uh, because it was otherwise going to be a movie about three middle-aged women and they didn't think little boys would go to a cartoon to see that. And, like, I will I will stand up momentarily for Buck, but not very tall, in that the action set piece centered around Buck was kind of perfect because it was an idiot fighting three lesser idiots <laughs> and therefore all the slapstick and comedy of it, like, yeah, that works. That I, I find that funny. But sure, but like, I don't know, Disney keeps revisiting this idea that animals doing kung fu is hilarious, and it's not. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's not really. Then we move on to the workhorse names you're not going to necessarily recognize. Charles Dennis was the bounty hunter. If you've ever played Mass Effect Listener, <laughs> about two-thirds of the Tyrians. <laughs> uh, Charles Hayde as the Lucky Jack Rabbit. Carol Cook as Pearl Gesner. Now, Carol Cook is uh, one of those theater institution people. Uh, oh, no, I think of Carol King. It's fine. Mm. <laughs> Different Carol. <clears throat> uh, Carol Cook, by the way, because I did actually have to go double check. Is there anyone else in this movie who's had some like problematic statements politically that I need to make sure I had off the pass? There is a point in April 2020 when uh, she did utter the line in public, where's John Wilkes Booth when you need him? Which... Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, well, she doesn't have to get in the sack, then. That's a spicy meatball, though. <laughs> this is a time when spicy meatballs are required. Uh, Joe Flatty as Jeb, the grumpy goat. I like the goat. The goat Jeb is speaks goat. for me. God bless Jeb. God bless all Jebs. Steve Buscemi as Wesley. Steve Buscemi's in this? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh, Richard Reel as Sam Brown, the town sheriff. That's again. These these are these are meaningful names. Oh, Wesley's the the, the purchaser for the cattle. Yeah, the, yeah, uh, the black market guy yeah. who quit Crown College for this. Who I refer to as Half a Gomez Adams. Yeah, it's a good look. It's a, it's a it is a good cartoony look. It's fine. I mean, I I'm not fond of how cartoony this movie is overall. It's definitely <laughs> a sweet spot of stylization for me, and it's it's far 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 to the cartoony side of, say, AAA video games, but it's also much to the realistic side of this crap. Uh, Richard Reel, by the way, the voice actor of The Old Sheriff, has been in 200 movies. <laughs> he, he has been in all of the Beethoven movies. Who was doing their darndest Pat Buttram uh, impression as the <laughs> sheriff's dog? Uh, that's a guy called G.W. Bailey. Not a name I have ever heard. Okay. Yeah. So you've been in a million things too? Well, I'll give uh, you this. His, just a guy who could do an Alabama accent. His Wikipedia page photo showing him is in black and white. So like, that gives you a tone of just how far in the business this guy was. Um, Lance Galt was Junior, the pet buffalo. So 
Like, I heard that and was like, is that KMR? No, it's not KMR. It's another guy with a voice that just lives in his boots. That was a top-notch performance. Now, admittedly, yeah, you're being called on for a very specific thing. Yeah. So you pick the person who has that voice already. Uh-huh. But, you know, I-, I suppose what I'm doing is telling the casting director they did well on that one. <laughs> uh, well, they also picked Roseanne Barr, so <laughs> fuck off. Dennis Weaver, Patrick Warburton shows up again. I can't believe we could have had Patrick Warburton horse in this movie instead of fuck. <sighs> Sorry, Cuba Gooding Jr. You probably deserve better roles than this. Um, Estelle Harris is the chicken. Who that? Uh, Estelle Harris is, amongst other things, the grandma from Brother Bear. <laughs> yeah. Or do you mean who was the chicken? You don't remember a chicken? No, I remember a ch- I remember the chickens. At some point it's implied that they, like, shit on a guy's face or possibly lay eggs into him. I don't know. I can- it's a really weird shot and I couldn't work it out. Mm-hmm. It's not comfortable and it's not good. It's not. But yeah, and uh, uh, <clears throat> Dennis Quaid as Alameda Slim. Yeah, and I believe we've already covered Fuck Him. Who played the brothers? A guy called Sam J. Levine, uh, who doesn't have a Wikipedia page of his own. Oh. Which I suspect means this guy does a lot of work, but it's not remarkable work. It's like a, a, what are they called? Session musician. Yeah. I understand there are voice actors who are basically session musicians. So, no Frank Welker sightings. No Frank Welker, but... And I already noticed during our screening a distinct lack of David Ogden Steers. Which, you yep. know, good, keep this movie stank off of yourself. But that's not the only voices put to this movie, Fox. Oh, oh that's right, because uh, this is another musical where nobody sings except... The villain, one guy, and, and other than that, we have fucking pop songs, or in this case, pop country. So, uh, Yodel Idol 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 O is Randy Quaid, like he sung his own songs, but the yodeling was provided by Randy Irwin, so, meh. And, uh, up on, on, on the, on the low getting... end, for the, pe- for the people who don't care about country music, the Anytime You Need a Friend song, that was by the Bow Sisters, they were part of American Idol, their Kerry, Kelly Clarkson era stuff. Meh. But, as far as the rest of the voices go, Little Patch of Heaven was K.D. Lang. Oh, fucking. Wherever the trail may lead was Tim McGraw. <sighs> and Will the Sun Ever Shine Again was Bonnie Ray. So, you don't know Bonnie Ray from A Side of Chips. I know I've heard that name. It, it's a name that should be above this. Tim McGraw is not above this. Tim McGraw sucks. <laughs> Tim McGraw is kind of... I don't know how to give you a good pop example because Tim McGraw is at the country version of Taylor Swift levels of importance and at a Miley Cyrus level of respectable. Yeah, see, I'm trying to work out the best way to not understate his actual popularity yeah. while still call him Funhouse Miragarth Brooks. Oh god, you're absolutely... So, to, to flash back to the 90s. Sorry, not Funhouse Mirror. That's interesting and weird. Just just off-brand Garth Brooks. So, to flash back to the 90s, momentary 90s pop country beefs coming up here. <laughs> Garth Brooks had an album called Roping the Wind. And Roping the Wind had a bunch of absolutely cracker songs on it. What a name. And he had another, another album after it called In Pieces. And these two albums between them basically said, Hey, men in country... This is how you do things now. This is the new normal. Yeah. Like, none of you can go back to the 1920s. We can't get that kind of twang. You have to pull this off. And there were lots of people who couldn't pull that off. But there were people who could kind of do that, but be a bit more 
hunky or lunky. And for example, Billy Ray Cyrus was very much leaning on lunk. I feel like hunky lunky is the perfect description of Billy Ray Cyrus as a genre. Exactly. (laughs) So, I can't believe you put that together by accident. And Tim McGraw was essentially a filed down, prettied up, in the context of macho, toxic masculinity style, version of Garth Brooks. He was skinnier, he had a different aesthetic, and he was, in the context of what we're talking about here, a better looking guy. Um, He also didn't have things like Garth Brooks would often put himself out there emotionally about things like his own relationship to his appearance. Um, Does it come through that I still think kind of well of Garth Brooks? Probably. (laughs) I don't know what Garth Brooks is doing these days, but uh, I I feel like you could fairly describe Tim McGraw as Garth Brooks minus the emotional integrity. Garth Brooks was criticized for criticizing President Trump, and he then proceeded to come out to donate money to a bunch of charities of particular kinds that annoy conservative people, and when called on it, pointed out that he wrote a song in 1994 called We Shall Be Free, which explicitly calls for an end to racist violence and coercive family structures. Hmm. Oh, good on you, Garth. Garth Brooks doesn't suck. I'm not saying Garth Brooks is good, but Garth Brooks, at least in these past two years, has had lots of opportunities to suck, and he hasn't sucked. He has managed to not get put in the sack. Uh-huh. Exactly. Whereas Tim McGraw has always been standing a little too close to the sack for my liking, especially as his first show up was a song called Indian Outlaw, which was a first person perspective song sung about being an edgy, cool, motorbike riding, Native American outlaw type that he isn't. You hang on a minute, Tim. You did you just you made a native sonar? Tim McGraw's Italian, if anyone out there is still holding out hopes for that song. Right? Like, his family's from fucking New York. (laughs) Like I said, 90s pop radio beefs are coming out. Where the fuck did the name McGraw come from? Is that just a stage name? He just called himself Country McCountry. I don't know if he called himself McGraw. but, But his family are Italian. Get, go back four steps and they're arriving on a boat on in New York. Not that there's anything wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That sounds great. Yeah, but... You I know, grew up in Australia in the 90s. I appreciate the value of immigration. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, don't then go and say, well, we, we fought for this land and we protect this land and this land's in our blood. Because <sighs> Ooh. it is in someone's blood. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you asked them for sovereignty, buddy. Mm. How 90s much blood? Pop. Would you say like twenty percent? It's a rough one. So yeah, Tim McGraw kind of sucks, and I will take the opportunity to point out that Tim McGraw kind of sucks. Not not deeply, tragically sucks. He's not one of the many country stars who I have to who I have to say, yeah, he probably says the n word in private. But Tim McGraw just just sucks a bit. So setting aside Dallin's deep knowledge of country music beefs. Also, Katie Lang? Yep. What the fuck are you doing here, man? <laughs> she's Woman? Just, she's so much better than this movie. You remember the sequel to Brother Bear that we discussed last week? I mean, I, I don't remember it because I haven't watched it yet, but I know it, I know it exists. I know oh, you remember it. bringing it up? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she's, she's who they got to sing their cheesy-ass out-of-place pop music in, in Brother Bear 2. 
cool. <laughs> uh, you know, to be fair, she does a better job of selling a heterosexual love story than Phil Collins does, but still, I mean, <laughs> stop putting your cheesy-ass white pop music in Brother Bear movies. I want... I want a Disney sequel movie now, which justifies having Katie Lang doing the soundtrack. <laughs> That'd be fucking awesome. I think this has to be a sequel to Ralph Breaks the Internet and is maybe about two of the princesses getting together. I mean, I've seen this fan art. <laughs> but, so, you know, this being the last, <laughs> the last for a bit, uh, traditionally animated Disney film we're going to get, we really should pay more attention to the animation itself. Which is not great. There's a lot of willingness to use the beauty of the American Western desert. Like, there's a lot of places where the sun-painted desert steps get to light up in their bright hues. But Yeah, but then there's like weird neon wannabe pink elephant sequences... Yeah, because <laughs> just do flat colors against a black background to save as much money as possible. Yeah, and like, I do think that at some point that that doesn't feel like a desperation move to me. That doesn't feel like they did that to save money. It feels like they said, "Hey, let's do it like Pink Elephants on Parade," and also, "Hey, get a load of this. We get to have saved some money here." Like, I don't feel that the cart came before the horse there. I nah this this stinks of cheapness i have some real bad news for you then <laughs> this is gonna be gross well i mean you'll notice again there is like no shading in this movie for example there's shading all over the place there's a little bit of it but only when characters walk into shadows which is kind of paradoxical a whole bunch of alameda slim's expressions are heavily shaded and lit okay maybe he gets shading but our main characters are flat colors like the entire time you see fox what you don't realize here is that Dennis Quaid is consuming the light. <laughs> he commands the power of shadow. Yeah. Yeah, and like all the designs are just very, very corner cutting. These designs are made to be easier to animate. Probably, yeah. For sure. It, I, I commented glibly while we were watching that this was the best looking Warner Brothers movie I'd ever watched. <laughs> and... On the one hand, I definitely think that's true in a lot of the slapstick and the sense of humor and the kind of low-key boardiness of it. And like, hey, look, there's a cross-dressing joke. It, it is truly a Warner Brothers work. But <laughs> a lot of the ways that Warner Brothers looks and behaves was a byproduct of trying to do Disney production schedule on a tenth of the budget. So what you may be seeing as, this looked cheap, is probably registering in my mind as, this looks like Bugs Bunny. Okay, I... Obviously, I mean, it looks cheap for a Disney. Like, yeah. It looks cheap the way that, say, the character animation in Emperor's New Groove looks cheap. Except the backgrounds are also not as beautiful as most of the backgrounds were in that movie. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong, there is some nice background work here. As you say, they do do some nice, like, desert shots and stuff. But, like, and... most of it is just really simply rendered and it's, like, it's a chosen aesthetic. It's very cartoony, but that also just does make it really simple there's also the, i think the problem is i have a very hard time regarding this movie as looking cheap in part because i looked at the budget but also because there are points where the budget comes out to play the sequence of them in the minecart minecart rides are perfect for saving money 
and they did none of the tricks to make a minecart ride fast. They changed the camera's angle, they changed perspective, they followed objects, they did multiple versions of the same shot so that the shot retracted into the ceiling and stuff like that. Um, the flood, the flood is beautifully animated and like all of this is, like, I'm not saying you're wrong. I really am not trying to say, no Fox, you are incorrect about this. I'm saying the stuff that stands out in my mind, I might just be remembering the most expensive 10% of this movie. Whereas I tend to remember things like, our main characters have no shadows. I, 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 like, I, I, I don't want to fight you on that because I, I can't remember uh, clearly enough. And some weird sequences where they pretend that they're like a lush, exciting thing to look at. Like, for some ungodly reason, they do like a, a CG pan around our old lady preparing to leave the farm as she yeah. gathers her memories. A shot which should be small and intimate. Yeah. And does not require a high angle that rotates around the character. And it doesn't look good. It no. looks nasty. It looks empty and it looks fakey. It does that isometric clip as well. It's weird. When you can tell like, that the artist is really good at drawing this character at 45 degrees and 90 degrees. And then oh. there's a very clear point where the character like flips into one, one or the other. Which is a bummer. Like it wasn't drastic, but it was like it was just we can't put every goddamn frame into a turnaround of this character in this scene. There is also a lot of reliance on just the inherent comedy of a cow's bum. Yeah, I think it takes about four seconds for them to make a titty joke yeah. about the main character. and just Really like, weird. I think that's when I started actually hating this movie. The Lucky Rabbit is in the opening, and like I thought he was just a bit part for the opening, and I thought, yeah, that's a bit mean-spirited. Then he shows up as a character, and he fucking rules! And he has these really good dynamic action sequences, and he uses the way he's shaped differently. Yeah. He's so good. You know what? The rabbit's really nicely animated. I'll give you that. Yeah. I think it's in part because th three of the main characters of this are just boxes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, the character animation in this is, it's good. It's cheap, but it's good. Which is exactly what you expect out of Disney that's not prestige Disney, let's say. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a baseline level of quality, you know? I complained a lot about the animation in Atlantis, too, and that had some great animation in it. It just wasn't all of it. Mm -hmm. And this this kind of has that problem, too. But, you know, it's totally fair. Character animation is mostly good. I'm a bit annoyed that we saw the rabbit get tortured so much for no real reason. Yeah. I guess it's supposed to be funny because he's a lucky rabbit who constantly has misfortune befall him. Because he's lost a leg. He's an unlucky lucky rabbit. Like that to yeah. me, that works perfectly. I it is just a bit mean to see. It, it's kind of a funny joke. I just also don't want to see an animal suffer like that. It's not necessary. I don't find it funny. Either. Especially because he's a hero on par with Jeb. He's pretty great. Yeah, I I like the rabbit. The rabbit saves the story twice. Jack, that's his name. Yeah. Anyway, I I don't know. Like I I, I feel like this is a situation a little bit like Atlantis, where I'm seeing like the best version <laughs> of this in my mind. And having a hard time seeing the ways <laughs> I think fails. you might be. Which well, is weird, because I do think this movie sucks. <laughs> let's talk about the ways it fails, then. Yes. Uh, the humour is really bad. Or yeah. at least, the bits that are trying to be funny are really bad. There's a bunch of cute sight gags, and like, genuinely funny, just little moments. Uh, but none of them have any kind of focus because they're they're sight gags and you know 
funny moments. The stuff they actually think is funny, like Buck carrying on, and cows talking about their titties and or their asses, and... Hilarious sexual harassment? <laughs> horny bulls, and fat jokes, and just everything else is not funny. Comparing this movie to a Warner Brothers cartoon continues to work because they've got about a Warner Brothers cartoon full of good jokes smeared out across the 88 minutes. The Yeah, and the, the minecart action sequence has some good action animation and some good slapstick bits in it. Um, but that's not enough to tide you over for the rest of the movie. Like, I can think of specific moments where this music... Where, I can think of specific moments where this movie made me laugh out loud. I, I had a genuine yell of laughter at the moment where they re- where the nephew's head is on the map. Yep. I, I barked with laughter when the Buffalo Junior said the rabbit was clearly with the cows. Like, that was just really funny to me. Uh, and convincing Patrick Warburton to bail, I, I also found that funny. I didn't find that funny. There's... There's Maybe enough. Because Buck was talking. Yeah, it's Buck. Buck is kind of anti-humor. It's true, mm. but there is enough in this movie that is on the face of it just pretty good. Co- oh, just the premise of Alameda Slim, an evil yodeling bandit. That's funny and dumb. Is it really? <laughs> you half agree with me. <laughs> yes, and the half I agree with is dumb. It's. I mean, I don't have a problem with it. I. Yes, they needed him to have some kind of superpower, but... It is an interestingly deployed ability because it allows one of our characters to have a pre-established resistance to it. It gives you a pragmatic way that the characters can overcome it with pre-planning, but it can still catch them out of bounds. And it explains a question asked in the opening as to how this ca- this was so possible at such with with such convenience and without being noticed yeah like I, it does do a lot of good solid story mechanic work yes and none of that makes it funny i think that you and i just don't appreciate yodeling on the same level i appreciated the jokes about yodeling being art or not i the the dumbass brothers did genuinely get a few lines that i like i also like that they they forgot who he was when he put the disguise on that was cute <laughs> if you must be profoundly obvious. If you must have your villain explain his disguise <laughs> to us, even though we just saw him walk behind a screen and get changed, then I like that you did it by turning it into a joke. That's a good bit. And I love that when the one of the brothers tries the, the glasses on for fun later, the other two forget who he is. This is good. It's it's And it's followed through and it's paid off. That's an actual joke. I liked the joke. All right, all right. Okay, so, so, so on yodeling... Maybe you just haven't experienced it right. Have you ever watched a puppet yodel? Talon. <laughs> you need there. to get off this yodeling thing. <laughs> and cut there. Cut to what? <laughs> just moving on to the next bit. Like, no no further discussion. Okay. I have nothing for whatever land. <laughs> okay. You say what you said to me about, have you ever heard a puppet yodeling? Moving on. Because the other bit of what doesn't work about this movie is everything that's not meant to be funny. Because... A movie like this, it's it's stupid and it's lightweight and it's not exciting. Even though the minecart ride is a bit exciting. But the premise isn't exciting. The premise is very basic. Oh no, are they not going to save the farm? Of course they're going to save the fucking farm. No one actually believes there's going to be a twist or anything. Right? 
<laughs> oh my god, and the bounty hunter turned out to be working with the villain? Bet nobody saw that coming neither. I admit, I thought that it was going to be the twist that the bounty hunter was crap. <laughs> I would have been better, frankly. Oh. Yeah, I think I think when it comes to them handing you a product you hate, literally any alternative choice they could have made would, in your mind, be better. It's true. At the end, I found myself delighted with the idea that they, they capture the guy and, you know, yay, whatever, it's all resolved. And then, like, of course they don't get reward money, they're a bunch of cows. So they go to the fair and win prizes and, and buy back the farm, the original, like, the original plan worked. Yeah. I think that would have been a fucking hilarious ending. But, you know, that's just me. I might be too cynical for what they were trying to do with this movie. But the point is, the point is, no matter how dumb the plot is, a movie like this can still work if you get the emotional core right. And that, I believe, is the worst thing about this movie. Because even though all these performances are good, and they make you like these characters more than any of them has a right to be liked, frankly. Except Buck. Nothing can make me like Buck. <laughs> Buck sucks. But they try to do this thing with conflict between Judy Dench Cow and Hatsune Miku Cow. And... They, like, you know, she's, like, showy and flashy, and she's, like, a big city girl who comes in with all this confidence and impresses everyone, and Judy Dench is, like, the traditionalist cow who is the matriarch of this barnyard, and, oh, if only everyone would do things my way, we wouldn't have any problems. And they want this very badly to be a central conflict that helps these characters butt heads and develop, and it just doesn't really... Like, they really have to force it to come up whenever they have the opportunity. And it it just, it comes across as they're very immature and fighting about nothing all the time. Like, they'll just bring it up as if you mentioned a thing that conflicts with my values, even though you didn't. And, like, after after we have our big sad moment... Uh, Hatsune Miku Kao is like, all right, fine, I'll I'll leave the farm entirely if that's what you want, as long as you agree to come and help me with my thing. But it's like the whole reason that we're told Judy Dench Kao might want her to leave the farm is because she doesn't want to do this thing. She just wants to go home and comfort the the old lady who's getting kicked off of the land, and it, it it's the worst compromise ever. But they just needed to get him into this final conflict. So, like, we'll just we'll pretend that it makes some kind of sense. Stop asking questions. Get out of here. And, you know, it doesn't help also that they try and make it this big emotional moment. But they have not earned any of this. Like, no, nobody feels sincerely invested in this. And I had to laugh out loud at one point in the sad sequence. Because there's a bit they do where they cut back to town to show that the characters in town are sad. like, And they do this bit where the guys who were supposed to bring Buck back to the sheriff are like, you know, they're obviously... It's, it's a montage, so we don't know what they're saying. But the implication is, you know, they've gone and told him that his horse has gotten away. And now, like, he's sad. And then the dog who was playing noughts and crosses with Buck at the beginning, who sounds kind of like Pat Buttram, and was like... A tiny bit rude to Buck, but not in a really mean way. It was just kind of like, yeah, whatever. He's really sad now. And they have this, like, oh, I regret being slightly not nice to Buck. An annoying asshole. And they try and treat it like a really emotional sequence. And I just, I sat there looking at that fucking dog that sounds kind of like Pat Buttram. 
thinking, Lilo and Stitch made me cry like eight times when I watched it. What are you doing, movie? Ah, this isn't disappointing the way that Atlantis and Brother Bear are. And it's not nearly as boring as Dinosaur is. (laughs) But it's just so fucking hollow. It is impressively mediocre. It is mediocre in the way that only Disney could be. (laughs) It's mediocre in the the way that only like an $80 million movie could be. The the amount of polish and excess in this 5 out of 10 nothing burger of a summer fart movie (laughs) is kind of impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I I think it really does explore new depths of mediocrity for Disney. The funny thing is that this particular type of movie wound up becoming a staple. It's just, it became a staple once CG animation had gotten to the point where you could get a studio to shit out movies like this. Oh god, it really feels like a beat it, like, not even a DreamWorks, but An like Illumination an Illuminate, movie. yeah, exactly. That's what it feels like. It feels like a a 2010s fart and forget it movie for children who had already seen the three movies they really wanted to see in this season. It's the secret life of cows. Oh. Oof. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. All right, should we get out of here and into Whateverland? I have nothing for Whateverland. Um, don't force it. I guess I Let's don't really just have go. anything for Whateverland. All right, there's one more actual gag bit that I liked which is at the end when they all come back from the fair and everyone's got ribbons. There's three little ribbons that jump out of the the truck after the rooster and it's the little chicks and they turn around. It's very cute. Yes. Genuinely good work there. On the note of that, I also like uh, everything they did with Jeb, especially his cans (laughs) and the fact that they are his cans and stay away from his cans. I like Jeb. Um, And I like the little baby pigs. Yeah. I am surprised how cute the little baby piggies were. I like them. The the little pig loaf. They're ge- yeah, they're just cute. They're genuinely cute designs in this uh, in this collection of designs, which are mostly not very appealing to me, uh, even as a you know a moderate fan of cartoon animals. Mm-hmm. I, the rabbit's cute. There's a rabbit's cute. He has a face. Which is fascinatingly reminiscent of wolves from very early Disney movies. Like, he has that real kind of sharp nose, snaggletooth, scarred nose up here, scruffy grey kind of look. Which, you know, is just an interesting and good character design choice for this character. I feel like he may have had a bigger role at some point in this script, but, you know, who knows. I don't think anyone made a documentary on the making of Cow Movie. Well, you can't put a price on good character design, except, oh, no, wait, <laughs> yes, you can. And that's what happens when we roll into the realm of capitalism. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've already set me up for massive disappointment here. Obviously, Deep abiding distress ensues. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously more expensive than, than Brother Bear because Brother Bear was astonishingly cheap. Shockingly so. So I'm going to expect to be equally as shocked by this. Um... And if if I'm going to aim high in my disgust, I may as well aim all the high uh, and say this is another uh, $100-plus million dollar movie. Yep. $110 million. 
That's fucking gross. $54 million more than Brother Bear. But, you know, that's not enough. How about I say more than the budgets of Aladdin and Hunchback put together? Yeah. I, I remember when we rolled in Hunchback, I was like, this is the one that goes over 100, isn't it? This is the one. Nope. <laughs> and the real bangers of the Disney Renaissance are all way cheaper than anyone thought. Uh-huh. Uh, particularly Beauty and the Beast, which is everyone's favorite fucking golden child movie, and it turns out it only costs like 30 million or something ridiculous. What about the take? Ugh, please be a failure. Please be a failure. You are such a bad movie. If people gave money to this, I'm going to be angry. Tell me it didn't make back its budget. Please, Talent, tell me this. This movie made $145 million. No! With some asterisks. Why did you go and see this movie? Because, yes, this movie made $145 million at the box office. I mean, don't get me wrong, that's still a shitty profit compared to Brother Bear, which, astonishingly... It made $12 million in its opening weekend, which is abysmal. That seems like not much. And it wasn't opening up against any powerhouses, and it only made $70 million domestic. Why the fuck did everyone else go and see this after that, then? Because a significant enough portion of the world went, oh, it's a Disney movie, let's go check out the next Disney movie. Ugh. And I warned you all. Disney also had another movie, uh which was meant to come out, which came out the same year, called Alamo, which also bombed, craterously so. Doesn't seem like a thing you should be making a movie about in 2004. And the two movies' combined failures was enough that Buena Vista Entertainment uh, did a write-down, which is effectively they sent a letter to their shareholders saying, by the way, our total profits are going to be significantly lower. I see. So adjust your, adjust your investment portfolios accordingly. You, you never, ever want to do a write-down. A write-down is for things like warehouse fires. So... The big old admission of failure. This movie's budget officially was only $110 million, But given that $145 million was enough to make them absolutely crap the bed, odds are good there's some shaky design... There's some shaky bookkeeping practices going on there. I mean, as far as Disney profits go, that's shit all, really. And the other thing is, Brother Bear cost $45 million and got them $250 million. Yeah. So the return on investment was terrible. There is a narrative around this point that the failure of Home on the Range is what resulted in the the shutdown of the traditional animation studios. I think that that's blown up. I think that it's a much more likely that everyone was like, 3D animation is coming for our jobs. And we are all doing what we can while the apocalypse is closing in. <laughs> well, look, I mean, we know the speed that these things move at. They couldn't have gone, okay. They couldn't have had their movie fail one year and gone, okay, there is no 2D movie for next year if they had had one that was that was going to release. So it obviously wasn't Home on the Range's fault. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure it's the fault of this entire era. Like, they're just, they're on very shaky ground. It's the strange. The things they expected to be huge weren't huge. The things they expected to be kind of math were surprisingly good occasionally. But, like, overall, they clearly do not have their shit together. And they've lost the reputation for being Disney and just putting out a tremendous banger every year. That's completely over at this point. Two, two things here. One, I've said in the past, empires can take a hit. And yeah. Disney had taken some hits in this era, but they had definitely been making consistently profitable movies. The other thing is, Disney at this point was still being associated with Pixar. That's the other thing. See, they're... 
I mean, this is why the traditional animation stuff from them started looking so weak. Because the Disney Pixar movies were tremendous bangers. Every goddamn time. No exceptions. I think Bugs Life was considered to be the worst of them for the most part. And it was still huge. We, off screen, we, off mic, did some conversing about the numbers on this. And as it turns out, the comparison of budget to profit for the Pixar stuff... Oh, right, that's the other thing, yeah. ...is really quite outlandish. The budgets for the Pixar movies by now are on par with the animated movies, but the returns are much higher. And one of the things about that that's kind of... With 3D technology, if you get better at doing a type of shot in your movie, that technology usually translates. Sully in Monsters, Inc., famously took an hour to render per frame because he was so fuzzy. And now we are at a point where that technology has been refined to where computers can render him in real time. This is the the way that Pixar were effectively always presenting cutting edge products and the returns were justifying that. And Disney was apparently with their traditional animation doing top of our game, absolute best stuff. And every single time we're done with a movie, we have to restart. None of what we're doing is building on itself in the same way that Pixar looks like it's doing. Mm, I can't really agree with that, but you definitely get more of that effect in Pixar. Like, I mean, we've talked about the technology they developed for Tarzan, winning a prize in Brother Bear. Like, <laughs> these th- they do build yeah. tools and techniques and develop these things and recycle them into the next movie. But it's not as cheap to iterate on as 3D. And also 3D has the the benefit financially that you can say, all right, inevitably computers get better and faster at this shit. Yeah. We could do nothing and this would become cheaper over time. So if you look at that and then you look at the fact that, okay, granted they are still definitely putting out some movies that are well regarded in this era here and there. They're very hit and miss. But if you're looking at the Pixar stuff and going, this costs us way less, makes much more in most cases, and is consistent. Like, it's super reliable. We wouldn't have to write our shareholders' letters saying that we fucked up. Please adjust your expectations accordingly. Like, I hate that they made this decision, but, like, financially, it's the logical thing to do, right? Why not take the safe, cheaper, more profitable more reliable thing that everyone now thinks you're the best at. With a bonus, remember that they tried to catapult themselves to that level with Dinosaur? (laughs) Yeah. And in the process, shot themselves in the foot. Really, they did. So yeah, here we are at the end of the traditional animation era, for now, with the third last traditionally animated Disney movie. (laughs) That's definitely the last one. This, This is it. This is the swan song for the legacy that started at Snow White. And I gotta say, remember how I said a long time ago that if you'd asked me to order the Disney animated movies, I would have put Sword of the Stone (laughs) and Aristocats way earlier than they actually are. This movie feels like it's from around that same time in the way it feels. Obviously, visually, doesn't fit. But the kinds of jokes they're making here and this sort of, are we Warner Brothers now? vibe to everything feels much more 60s and 70s this uh maybe not in terms of anima- animation but in terms of stylization 
this looks more like one of the compilation musicals. It looks like Pika's Bill. It looks like a Disney relation. Uh, Disney related. It looks more like one of the compilation movies than it looks like a Disney Renaissance movie, right? Yep. Pretty much. It's. It will never not break my heart that it ended this way. Even though I know that there are some bright lights in the future, and when we do manage to return to traditional animation for a holiday, uh, it's it's going to be good. But, you know, for now, it's just really sad that this is where we wound up. I guess all we can do is, is look to the future. What did they choose to replace their once top of their game traditional animation movies with in the coming year? Fuck, what did come out next? I don't want to be a doomsayer, Fox. It's not. No, it's not time for Bolt yet. But the sky is falling. Oh. Time start. Do I have to do everything? Yes. All right. You, the time I, starts now. I'm terribly sorry, Fox, but on this podcast, you have to do You're something. You're wasting time, Talon. Get on it. My time starts now. His time had already started. He's not getting free time because of that. He chose to waste his time. Now I'm choosing to waste his time also. I'm the editor. <laughs> You're the editor who's wasting his time. It's going to be an almighty blip, a pterodactyl sound effect. <laughs> Where the leap talent was free. The movie was summarized. Well, you almost pulled it in under the <laughs> 60 seconds talent, but you didn't quite make it, so better luck next time. You can try for a ribbon at next year's fate. 